Hello and welcome to a new edition of the StatCast with your hosts, Harrison Friedman, Sam Greenman. Sam, today we've got on a guest to talk about the pretty fun stuff that's been going on this basketball season. Ari Cohen, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How are you guys? Good, good. There's been a lot of fun basketball this year. Um, the Jazz are 20-5. and five. We were just talking about them, uh, which kind of blows my mind. I, I can't believe that this team is like at an 800 winning percentage. Not sure what they're going to do next time they play. I don't know if that's tonight or tomorrow, but the Jazz are 20 and five. The Celtics are 12 and 11. The Pacers look like competitors or some nights, some nights they do not. Um, but yeah, we're going to get into all this kind of stuff. Uh, it should be a good podcast, but first. Milo Hamilton. Swinging. All right, and welcome back to the Statcast. So, Jazz are twenty and five. Celtics are teetering just over five hundred right now. Ari, how about we talk about the yeah the craziest story in the NBA right now, which is that the Utah Jazz look like the best team in basketball since I don't even know when the last time a team looked this good. Golden State. Yeah, I mean the Lakers? Utah. I'm, Lakers I mean, didn't open like this. The Lakers, they've first of all, played three straight overtime games. And so they're not they're not blowing teams out of the water the way that Utah has. I mean, Utah is the only team in the league that's top five in offensive and defensive rating right now. I think they're third in fourth defensive in rating, fourth, fourth in offensive rating. Um, I'm honestly, they haven't made any major roster changes. And so it's just kind of shocking. Um, I think the key though, is that Mike Conley, has kind of started to play like Mike Conley again. He learned how to run the pick and roll with Gobert. Um, last year, he averaged, I think it was 0.7 assists per game to Gobert. This year, he doubled that to 1.4. And so I think that's been the key is that he's just been able to be such a threat as a shot creator and as a passer, um, as well as Donovan Mitchell taking the next step forward as a playmaker and as a shot creator as well. Um, he's started shooting more spot-up threes um, as opposed to you know, mid-rangers. And so that's definitely helped his efficiency. Um, and out of the nine guys that they have in their rotation, um, almost all of them are capable three-point shooters. Joe Ingles, Bogey, um, Jordan Clarkson has taken a step up this year. Um, and he's my pick for six man of the year personally. Uh, and Gobert has been the best defender in the league this year. And that's coming from a Pacers fan. So yeah, Miles Turner, yeah, only second this year in defensive player that you're voting. Seems like. Yeah. I mean, he would be my pick for defensive player of the year, but only because Gobert has already won it. I just yes. love, I love what Miles Turner has done. Um, but that's off topic. We will once, talk once again, about Miles. We didn't want Miles Turner. Yes, we will talk about uh, the best current uh, Longhorns big man in the league soon. Jared but yeah, Allen. Jared Allen is second best. There's all these Longhorn big men. There's such a variety, such a variety of ways that they have turned out. But anyway, uh, yeah. On the subject of the Jazz, like Donovan Mitchell is averaging, and he was averaging his career average is four assists this year. He's averaging five. Uh, he's averaging more points per game. It's not quite what we saw in the bubble, but nevertheless, like 
he is a better player this year. Against the Celtics, he had 36 points and nine assists, which is for a long time, we thought that Donovan Mitchell was this guy who scored a bunch. And like, yeah, he was nominally the point guard, but he was the point guard in the way that he brought the ball up. He was not the point guard in the way that he was a traditional point guard for the team. And so, yeah, you're also right about Mike Conley. Mike Conley was kind of trash last and like him hitting a brick at the to lose the season for them last year in game seven against uh, the Nuggets at the buzzer. That was kind of emblematic of the season. And now he looks healthy. He looks right. I mean, yeah, he's missed a few games due to hamstring injuries, but what can you expect? He is getting a little old, but he's nevertheless mostly looked very good. And I love what I'm seeing from Donovan Mitchell. It's a really good two, two man lineup. And also with Jordan Clarkson, like you mentioned, it's been, it's a fun team to watch. They have the second best point differential in the league. The only team better than that is the Bucks, and the Bucks started off slow, but they are starting to look like the juggernaut that they were last year. But the Jazz in one league, the Bucks in another league, um, are they true competitors this year, or is that reserved more for the teams with a larger collection of stars than the Jazz or Bucks have? So that's a great question. Um, and honestly, from what I've been seeing of the Jazz, their collective unit looks just as intimidating to me as you know any of the other teams that are superstar riddled. Um, I feel like Donovan Mitchell has taken a step up to kind of put himself in that upper echelon of talent. Um, I feel like with the supporting cast that he has, I think Rudy Gobert might be the best big man in the league not named him Beater Jokic this year. He's just been so valuable. So valuable, though. I mean, true centers, though. Okay, I I see what you mean. Yeah, Davis is powerful. Yeah, Davis is more, in my opinion, more of a power forward. Um, and it just feels like this is a very different Utah Jazz than we've seen in previous playoff runs. And I think it would be unfair to use those previous playoff runs against them right now, just because they're playing a much, much more unselfish brand of basketball. Like I said, Mike Conley um, is looking like the Mike Conley of old. And even though he's 34, um, he's just been playing lights out his shooting. He's shooting the three, three ball over 40%. Um, and I mean, the only thing I think they're missing uh, is a, you know, a big body defensive stopper. I mean, the best perimeter defender on their team right now is Royce O'Neal, who's six, four, um, but he's love shown Royce that even O'Neal. he can bang with, we love Royce O'Neal and he's yes. also shooting over 40% um, from three this year. And so it's just, they have a lot of very savvy players, a lot of very crafty players. Um, Joe Ingles is one of my favorite players to watch in the league. Don't at me. Um, <laughs> he's a legend YMCA dad Joe Ingles you know what the more we talk about the Jazz the more we realize like that's a team of a lot of really good guys from top to bottom a lot of guys you're like yeah I want this guy in my rotation they have eight guys who I think would could start on anybody's team in uh, basically everyone you mentioned you mentioned Boyan Bogdanovich too yes um, yeah. given that he had a nice run with the Pacers I, I got to know his game pretty well um, he's just so smart off the ball. Um, he makes room for, for other people to score. He's always in the right place at the right time. Uh, underrated offensive rebounder as well. And so he's just a, a very good player in terms of his ability to, to be in the right place at the right time. He's a very underrated passer as well. Um, and so when you have a collection of guys who can play multiple positions and space the floor and just Rudy Gobert is so good at drawing defenses inwards on his rolls to the basket. 
Um, and when you have guys who can reliably hit the three at a, at a high clip, I think it's just a recipe for success. And with Mitchell being able to throw these skip passes off pick and rolls and Mike Conley um, just facilitating everything, it just looks really, really good. And 80% of the time, they have two of Clarkson, Mitchell, or Conley on the floor. And so when you're able to have that as your guard rotation, that's three starter quality guys. Um, and one, dare I say, superstar this year. Yeah, one thing about Mitchell, yeah. I was just, I, well, before we move on to Mitchell, I, I was going to just point out that I think in years past, we've kind of seen that Gobert has, you know, been in the dunker spot and the pick and rolls with him have not been as efficient. And, you know, that's kind of how their offense stalls out is, you know, if it's five guys standing around, like it's the Rockets, you know, it, it, it's, it works a little bit better, but if it's four guys standing around and a guy, you know, just in the middle of the paint, uh, it kind of stalled their offense in past years. And I think this year Conley, you know, being more productive has allowed that pick and roll to open up because, you know, they don't just blast uh, Gobert and just let Conley, you know, do basically nothing. Um, no one's going to leave him open. Yeah. No one's going to let now him that he's, like, Now that he's actually shooting, you know, Gobert, the pick and roll actually works because you have two threats on on either side of the pick and roll. So I think that's been probably the biggest key to the offensive success because it's always, the Jazz defense has always been great, but I think the offense has, you know, as you said, it's relied on Mitchell a lot. And now that Gobert is actually kind of a fluid part of that offense it's much improved. Yeah, and also uh, on Mitchell and uh, Conley, both of them are shooting at a definitely more efficient rate this year and, and more efficient and better from the three-point line. Both of them are at, like average in like the mid-30s, but this year each of them are shooting over 41% from three-point line. And I know that this has been a good year for uh, three-point shooters just in general, probably because of like, you know, there's less pressure when you're in those gyms. There's not like crowd moving behind there. But Conley and uh, Mitchell are absolutely making guys pay. And so when they're scoring like the points that they've been getting on fewer shots and giving up more space for others and just like the threat of them shooting because like Donovan Mitchell, yeah, you're a little, at least in past years, you're a little nervous, but also he's just a league average three-point shooter. So like you could leave him open. Mike Conley, you could leave him open on these kind of things. And now like if pick and roll, you like have to go under on the screen against Conley. You have to make sure that or you got to swift. You have to make sure you don't like leave him open even for a split second, because those are the kind of guys who can absolutely strike faster than you'd expect. And five thirty-eight, I would say, is responding decently well to this. They don't have them as the most likely team in the Western Conference to make the finals. They don't have them as the second most likely team in the Western Conference to make the finals. But just being third after the Lakers and Clippers, and like not too far off, is pretty impressive. And I got to say, like. That's the something that's only going to go up if they keep winning. And if they like places like 538 love high point differential, and I think it's going to love them even more if they keep shooting like this and keep defending. Also, Elo has them higher than the Raptor. Um, yeah. So Elo uh, had the Raptors relatively high last year, which is interesting. But yeah, it has them 16% chance to win the finals versus um, a 13% chance to win the finals. But anyway, going up, talking about this Lakers team, Ari and Sam, I don't know what you guys think, but. The Lakers, that thing that stuck out to me most has always been their defense in the way that what they did against the Blazers and the Rockets and the Nuggets where at times they could lock down so well on defense that the other team was just absolutely unable to score. They couldn't get to the rim. 
there were always guys covering three-point shooters. They were rotating extremely well. They had terrific help defense. Guys like Alex Caruso, guys like KCP, they just knew what to do every time. And obviously LeBron is a, a great defender too. And so he was making a lot of these great stuff. But if the Jazz can defend as well as them, and this is sort of like the opposite of what happens with the Nets, where they can score on anybody, but they can't defend anybody. Uh, with the, if the Jazz are able to lock down to this kind of thing, and I know that they might not be able to stop that Lakers just power duo of AD and LeBron, if they can stop the Lakers secondary guys from making shots and force AD and LeBron to win it by themselves every single night, which they really never had to do in the playoffs because they relied on their defense and secondary guys, at least to help them get over the hump in a lot of games. I think they actually could make some noise in the playoffs. I would love to see it, honestly. Um, I'm just, the only question really I have about the Jazz, like the only serious concern is what happens if the shots just aren't falling one night? Who do they rely on? Because as of now, they have one primary shot creator and one secondary shot creator, but it like, let's say Mike Conley's shots just aren't falling, like what happened last year um, for most of the season, then what then? Um, yeah. And in a game yeah. where you're playing against LeBron and AD, you have to be shooting at a high rate um, and making shots at a high rate every single game if you want to beat those guys. Uh, and with the high-pressure defense that the Lakers have shown they're capable of playing in crunch time, that's the only concern I would have about Utah. Yeah, small windows too. With the, the Lakers, Frank Vogel, obviously, as you know from all his time uh, in Indianapolis as a coach, he's so good at making sure, like, making sure his teams are defensively not just sturdy but really like locked down and really just like – it's almost like a mind meld, it seems like at times. It was, I thought it was really incredible the way that they were able to lock the Blazers and the Rockets down in the bubble because they just made those teams look like they didn't have any power whatsoever. So yeah, I would love to see if the Jazz can challenge them on that. I don't know if, we're, if that does end up happening because yeah, they probably don't have the firepower. Yeah, they have to make sure that their shots are falling every night. But would you say that they're the biggest threat to the Lakers in the West? Um, it depends on what version of the Clippers decides to show up in the playoffs. All I'm honest. saying, what if I say you have a healthy version of the Clippers? I don't say which version of them. All I'm saying is that it's healthy and the Jazz are healthy as well. Then I would say if by some miracle, some other team ends up knocking off the Lakers, Jazz Clippers would be an instant classic. <laughs> or great round two series. If the Jazz Definitely. don't end up getting the one seed, of course, Jazz might just get Definitely. the one seed and make us Lakers Clippers round two. That oh my goodness! So I mean, we're. I would love. I want to see Lakers Jazz more than anything because we've already seen every other series basically, except for Lakers Clippers. We've seen Lakers Nuggets. We've seen Nuggets Jazz, and we've seen yeah. Nuggets Clippers. We've seen enough Rockets Jazz uh, by this time. <laughs> But yeah, the Rockets ending up in the eighth seed or the play in eight seed and then playing the Jazz in round one would be pretty funny, especially if they end up knocking them off. Should talk about the fact that LeBron had had to take it had to take LeBron extra time to beat the Thunder. Okay, but AD wasn't playing. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, that, that also SGA wasn't playing either. Like it's, it's like it, you had it on the tip of your tongue. SGA, well, because I was thinking about it last night. I'm like, oh, whoa, Thunder are playing. I was watching the game. The Thunder were playing the Lakers very well with like you wouldn't expect from guys like Common. Uh, Hamidou Diallo and Darius Baisley and one guy I don't even remember if I've even heard of him before on the Jazz what was uh, not the sorry the Thunder what was his name but like he had something like 25 points or something like that he was just raining oh they were also mix, missing Alex Caruso so uh, it's a big uh, miss uh, who was the guy 
Kenrich Lou Williams. Dorham's Kenrich Williams. Lost. Kenrich Williams. Who is Kenrich Williams? And why did he drop 24, you know, Ken, 6, and Kenrich 2? Williams. He went 11 for 14, you know? Yeah. Who is Kenrich Williams? I mean, like, he was starting. He played 40 minutes for them. Is it, like... Am I just not playing, paying enough attention to OKC because he's actually like terrific? No, because the guy is averaging 5.6 points a game. But somehow he just decided uh, he's been shooting 47% from three in his last 10 games, which, wow, okay, in 23 minutes. So he's only got nine points a game. But nevertheless, I want to see him getting up more shots. I want to see what he can. He's like 6'6". He looked all right against the Lakers. Obviously, you know, um, LeBron against Lou Dort was a match yeah what a a, match to behold but yeah well LeBron by the way we talk all this stuff about the Lakers getting knocked off or something like that LeBron has decided that he's in like late career mode where his three-point shot is actually just going to be like on point every single night LeBron (laughs) James oh my god (laughs) he doesn't look like the same player anymore yeah and like off the dribble too like pull-ups everything like that LeBron used to like do these things where he would like get like this and he would have like a very i don't know how to say it. it's not like it was direct but it was very Clunky. yeah it was like manufactured it was like i know exactly what i'm going to do i'm going to take this ball and i'm going to shoot it and it's going to go in and it missed a lot of the time but now like it's fluid he looks like a good shooter he looks he's so natural mechanics. i still love yeah. when he when he has the ball in one hand and he's like looking to that one one direction and just like you immediately know it's a step back yeah like sometimes I wish I were on the court because I feel like I could see that coming, and I feel you like could I could, block LeBron. Yeah, I was about to say I, I feel like I could stop LeBron. I don't think he's got a chance against me. I've been saying it since I was twelve, and he was beating the Pacers in every single playoff series. Trust me, it's it, after watching him in person. I mean, have you guys ever watched LeBron in person? No, no. But I'll take heart. So I'll take fun. heart Never over the, height every time. Never the guard. <laughs> oh my gosh, I. What's, I witnessed LeBron. This is my my LeBron witness story. Um, I was at the game where he single-handedly subbed Kyrie and and Kevin Love out of the game and came back um, from a 26-point halftime deficit against the Pacers in the first round. It was game oh, three. That was the Channing Fry game. The Channing Fry game. <sighs> and the game where he ball-faked the living hell out of two oh. Pacers. And then just dunked it. Kick out and then just dunked it. I was sitting fifth row at that game. And I was yelling stuff at him the entire first half um, to the point where the security guard had to ask me to sit down. Um, And I was like 17 at the time. And so they weren't going to throw me out. But I just remember him like looking towards the stands and just like (laughs) giving a look. It wasn't quite at me, but it was like in our direction. And LeBron look. The LeBron look. Exactly. And if you watch if you watch a video of uh, of the game, I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube. Um, you can just see the look on his face the entire second half. And the best part of it all was that, or the worst part of it for me, was that there was a LeBron fan sitting right behind me, decked out in Cavs 2016 championship gear, who was just telling us the whole time, oh, the King's going to come back. The King's going to come back. (laughs) And we were just like telling, everybody in the stands was just telling him to shut up. But like at the end of the game, he was just giving us all the most smug looks. And my favorite part was that after we left the the stadium, um, we were all just chanting Pacers and seven, Pacers and seven, because we were down 3-0, and we ended up getting swept. But Damn. that's my LeBron witness story. Should, should have given Paul George the shot. <laughs> I don't even think there was an opportunity for it at that point. I'm pretty sure the game ended on free throws. LeBron just single-handedly willed the Cavs back, and it was just so 
mesmerizing to watch. It was probably the greatest thing I've ever seen. Um, and so I think at that point was when I realized like, okay, LeBron can very easily play until he's 45, just shooting threes. He can yeah. easily be Tom Brady if you wanted to. And it's so scary to think about. Yeah. Ari, were you he's the just... original courtside Karen? <laughs> What uh, like man, Ron is so soft for actually like being getting mad at that. Nah, I come on. Nah. He missed. I bet he missed the fans. I bet he was just playing around. Come of course on. he was playing around, but he got her thrown out of the game. I don't think he wanted to get her thrown out of the game. Although you you can't pull down the mask like that and then yell at a player. Like you can. That's, no, that's my biggest people... pet peeve about the, about like the sidelines, like NFL, NBA. Every time they talk, they pull the mask down. It's like that's the that's literally no, no. the exact opposite. <laughs> literally the exact opposite. That's, that's literally like throwing your trash in the trash can and then dumping the trash onto your floor and picking it up. Yeah, like yeah, the the coach is just like like this, like he's got it over and then pulls it down and yells every time. But what can you do? I don't know. Uh, they said they were gonna stop people from doing that. Uh, it does not seem to have happened. I don't know. Stephen Silas. Stephen Silas is good about it. I should say. So uh, Rockets represent. Anyway, um, so we talked about the Lakers. We talked about the Jazz. Um, why don't we move on to the East and talk about, um, or should we move on to the East? Maybe we could talk about, sorry, sent me a list of questions before that we wanted to talk about. And this is the one that I would love to talk about, uh, the Houston Rockets. All right, what is, what is your question? My question was, are the Rockets better without James Harden? Is this true? Or could they be better without James Harden? Personally, answer, I have an answer. I think they are, to be quite honest. I mean, their defense has taken a noticeable step up. It seems like everybody on the team is more motivated to kind of go out and give it their all every single night. Um, not taking shots at Harden there, maybe only a little bit. Um, you should be taking shots at Harden there. I think I'm very much okay with you taking shots at Harden there. Uh, but I feel like Oladipo has just given them an element of defensive versatility that they didn't have before with Harden. Yeah. And also, the thing about the Rockets is that since the Harden trade, the Nets, I believe, are 6-7, and seven, while the Rockets are, I think, 7-5. and five. So the Rockets have performed better than the Nets since they traded James Harden to the Nets. Yes, and that's the Nets with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And, I don't know, Joe Harris, too, on that team. So that's pretty great. The Rockets also have been missing a lot of their guys in a lot of these games. Christian Wood hasn't played that many. John Wall hasn't played that many. Oladipo, when he's played, has been relatively inconsistent, especially as far as effort has gone, which is unfortunate. Like, they've lost the last two games because the Rockets at some point just, like, sort of went totally flat and couldn't play any defense anymore. But nevertheless, I would say that the Rockets are definitely worse without Harden. But that's only because James Hart, but the only reason that the Rockets are doing better is because they are a better team than they were with Harden. Harden didn't just, just didn't care at all about trying. He was like, whatever, I'll just, you know, shoot, you know, get up my shots and stuff like that and play no defense and not really care at all. Now the Rockets have had, at least until recently, the best defense in the NBA since the Harden trade. So Your take is very similar to mine. My, yeah. here's my take. They're a better team, but they have a worse chance of winning the championship. I, th I think without, I think with Harden, they have they have like a, a a half a snowball's chance in hell to win the championship if everything breaks their way because Harden could just end up carrying them, like and having like twelve great great games in a row. Yeah. Um. The other option is you know you don't have Harden, 
and you get to the first round and are eliminated because you're literally a carbon copy of the 2017 Jazz. Yeah, I mean, the thing about the Rockets right now is that they once they still are sort of in that Harden mold. They have a lot of guys on their team who fit more of like the kind of guys who would play well with Harden. And then you have like the John Walls and the DeMarcus Cousins and now the Victor Oladipos. Because guys like Jay Sean Tate, PJ Tucker, David Nwaba, Sterling Brown, those are the kind of guys who like, you put those four guys on the floor with Harden, that team is probably going to be like, the best offensive team in the NBA and get maybe 30 rebounds fewer than the team that you're playing against. Pure three and D guys. Exactly. Though like, and it also there's like a weird stockiness for like guys who play with Harden. If you look at someone like, look at James Harden, of course. Or PJ Tucker. Guys, yeah. PJ Tucker, Jay Sean Tate, Nawaba, a little less Sterling Brown, but those guys, like it's a very similar defensive style where it's like, you stop the ISO moves, basically, but your help defense isn't quite the same. Although I would say that Nawab and Tate are very good at like poking balls away and jumping passing lanes. Jajon Tate really is actually getting terrific at jumping these passing lanes. So I've been very impressed by that. But it's a team without quite the right identity. And since they've had so few games with like all their best players actually playing on the floor, especially with Christian Wood now out for a couple of weeks, Christian Wood legitimately looking like an all-star to start the year, even though his defense has been a little shaky since he's very skinny. Um, I don't know. It's not the right team fit. And you can very clearly tell that they're not that much better than the team, than the bad teams that they're playing. And they're getting a little lucky when they're playing good teams and they're uh, playing, they're, they're, they're playing up to good teams. They're like a team you put in like the seven through 10 slot. They're a clear play in team from just my perspective, even, even when the full team is healthy, even as good as John Wall, his burst is looking when he like turns a corner on a pick and roll. They're just in a very clear transition period. And I think once they get their feet under them a little bit, start to develop with the talent they have, um, the future definitely looks bright. Uh, they have a lot of great pieces, a lot of good veteran pieces as well. I think DeMarcus Cousins is is a really good veteran piece, honestly, if you're looking to build uh, a possible contender and a whole stockpile of draft picks. So the future definitely looks bright, especially if they happen to miss the playoffs this year, which, I mean... I just think that as much as Rockets fans do want to see the Rockets in the playoffs, it might be better off for them to not make it this year just for the sake of having a good draft. Well, that's the weird thing about it. So the Rockets have a lot of draft picks, but most of their draft picks do not belong to them. They belong to the Nets. They have like a couple of Pistons one. I think they might have like the Bucks or the Heat or something like that because a lot of their draft picks are in Oklahoma City. So the Rockets – so. Of OKC, the Rockets, Miami, who, by the way, is starting to heat up exactly as I kind of expected, and the Bucks. Pun intended. Pun definitely intended. Um, the Thunder get the first two picks. The Rockets get the third pick, and I believe the Bucks get the fourth pick, just how they end up turning out. Unless the Rockets end up in the top four, in which case they would end up with their pick. Maybe top five. I don't remember. So for the Rockets, gotcha. yeah, it would be nice to like – the perfect thing for the Rockets, obviously, is make the play-in – lose win the lottery with or get in the top four in the lottery which like you saw what happened with the lakers pick just pull um, new york rangers get last in the lottery or yeah. get last in the play-in and then get the number one pick exactly oh yeah that was great uh, that was really fun <laughs> you a hockey fan not quite i mean i don't follow hockey on like a year-to-year basis i just know i know my basic hockey history though gotcha well you don't even know any need to know anything about hockey to understand this but so they had a bunch of planes last year where like 
there was like four, like 14 teams were in play in games against each other to see who got into the playoffs. Maybe there's 16 teams. And before, so they set this whole thing up, but then they do the lottery before the play in uh, round. And they had like a couple slots in the lottery, like the lowest percentage chance of like winning the lottery were like um, the whatchamacallit, like play in teams at yet as yet to be decided, but like play in teams with like this very like minuscule like chance in general. And play in team won the lottery to get the first pick in the draft to get a superstar, Alexis Lafreniere. And that's beautiful. Yeah. And so then, but no, but, and then they were going to do the actual lottery after the teams had already lost. So it was like, do we try to win, make the playoffs? If we lose, we have a one in eight chance because like it's an unweighted lottery, one in eight chance to get the first pick in the draft. Anyway, the Rangers won and got Lafreniere. But back to the subject. Um, of the NBA. Yeah, so the Rockets, they are incentivized to win games and hurt the Thunder, but also like get good picks or to be so terrible that they end up getting their own picks and don't lose them or have to swap them with the Thunder because very, very similar to a Celtic situation. I'm pretty sure that's what happened with like the Grizzlies pick that we had. It just yeah. it basically turned into like a 20th pick because the Grizzlies ended up being pretty good. Yeah, they, what, who'd you guys get? Aaron Nesmith or something like that? Yeah, he's not good. Yeah, you could have gotten that or. Even what's his name? Isaiah Stewart, who I think went 16th. Like, that's a guy who, like, would be good on the Celtics because he's a big body. I don't know. I don't know what the Nesmith pick came from, but Celtics and a Celtic. At least they got Peyton Pritchard. Anyway, uh, enough about the Rockets. Why don't we talk about the team that did get Tyrese Halliburton? So, Ari, what was your question on the league pass team of the year, the Sacramento Kings? I love the moniker. Um, My question was, should they entertain trades for Buddy Heald so that they can start De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton? Or would they just be better off having him in a role coming off the bench? Here's my take on it. I absolutely love the lineups they have where they play Fox, Halliburton, and Heald all in crunch time. That's a really, really good three-guard lineup play in crunch time because, like, those are all three high IQ basketball players, Fox, like, especially, and Halliburton, too. And Heald is legitimately a clutch shooter. Like, if he might be like in the top five of NBA guys who I would want to take like the final shot who aren't like, you know, LeBron James or Damian Lillard or something like that of like quote unquote role guys or like decent guys healed is clearly near the top. And so I love that lineup. Unfortunately, the rest of the team around them is not great. Harrison Barnes is not as high IQ of a player as like Halliburton and uh, Darren Fox, which is unfortunate. He makes a lot of mistakes. Yeah, he's he's also getting paid. So he's kind of got to play. <laughs> Yeah, and Hassan Whiteside, um, maybe not a terrific basketball player. He's uh, he's tall, so like he can be he can play on a basketball court. But I don't know if he's a terrific. He's basketball big. Player. Yeah, they have Michigan that, alum Glenn. Well, not alum, but Michigan uh, student Glenn Robinson the third. Yes, um, and also Marvin Bagley is like getting minutes, and like they're interesting minutes. Sometimes he does some stuff. You're like, wow, I know why this guy was a number two overall pick in the draft. But then you turn on a game like. Uh, uh Mavs Hawks last night you're like oh my goodness how did this guy go number two in the draft <laughs> that's exactly what I was yeah. gonna say it's just when you're like, looking at numbers three solid. and four literally right in front of you <laughs> three and five three and five same Jer- yeah. Jaron Jackson Jr uh who already may have played uh, against in middle school uh I still trust <laughs> triple, triple J is gonna he's gonna be fine oh yeah he's he's the perfect big for days NBA and Aiden I think got a play at a terrific game against uh, in the a win actually against the Bucks the other night or last night. So outside yeah, of Bagley, great top five. Step up. That was a fun game actually. Bucks Suns. I uh, fell asleep Giannis before it ended. Monster. 
Tell um, me about it. Yeah, we didn't win. Giannis didn't had 47 D book with 30 and six, and Giannis missed the potential game winning shot from mid range. Which, you know, Giannis should be. We talked about this on the last podcast about basketball we had. Giannis has got to be working on his mid range game. Giannis is like, if he develops some post moves, that's what Embiid has. Embiid like developed those post moves and then moved out to the three point line. If Giannis, like Giannis, he doesn't quite have the stroke yet. If you don't have like, what is it that like coaches tell you? If you can't make a layup or like if you can't make like a five footer, you have no business shooting three pointers because you got to exactly. make the shot regardless. Yep. And that's what frustrates me about Giannis is that he still looks so awkward shooting anything outside of five feet. So, I mean, Embiid looks so natural shooting turnarounds from 13 to 15 feet. And it's just really fun to watch as well as it being like a really good go-to move if you need a bucket late in the game. Um, Giannis still isn't at a point where he can hit an open mid-ranger consistently. And so we saw the results of that yesterday, and he was kind of, it seemed like he was just kicking himself afterwards. He's like, why couldn't I have hit that shot? He just back-rimmed it badly, and it didn't even look good at all. If he could get the Russell Westbrook mid-range pull-up down, he'd be great, man. Or the Kawhi shot. You know the Kawhi shot that always goes in? You, you see yeah, as soon as you like, the, the slight, the slight yes. angle. It's that's nasty. That's nasty. It's so nasty. No, the, one, <laughs> no, no, the nastiest thing is so the Westbrook mid range bank shot because he like uses the glass more than he should and he, he makes it every time. Glass never fails. I don't know. Uh, or you could just be Kevin Durant and make like the swish. The swish is so pure that like it, I don't, you don't, you don't like even know if he's heard of the glass. Move. Exactly. Kevin Durant's shot is the sweetest the NBA might ever see. I'm sorry. Like for a guy that big. I can't believe he can shoot like that. And, 100%. I yeah. love watching him shoot. The fact that we might be getting like a second Durant and Imani Bates coming up through the draft, but like Imani Bates is apparently KD mixed with KG, which like, yeah, whatever, maybe a little overhyped. But nevertheless, he looks like he looks like a legitimate superstar. And so that's the battle I want to see. I want to see like old grizzled uh, Kevin Durant going up against uh, young superstar Imani Bates. But we got a few years for that. Um but yeah, back to the Kings. So I don't think they should trade Heald. And it's because he does so much for them that, like, I don't think the return would quite match. Because, like, if you think about Buddy Heald, it's like, yeah, he's a shooting guard who kind of is overpaid and kind of wants the ball too much to really fit on a contender because also a contender can't quite offer that much. And it's sort of like it's a perfect role on the Kings where he can keep growing and, like, I value the chemistry more that he has with Fox because like he and Fox are so good together. And De'Aaron Fox is looking like De'Aaron Fox is looking like the next superstar. I'm sorry for saying that Colin Sexton was better than him recently because Fox is better. Fox is clearly better. You watch Fox the Kings. Real. You watch the Kings. It's so Fox is so good. I he's, I loved Colin he's Fox. Fa- he's just faster than everybody. He's so much fun to watch. He's it was like watching young Westbrook and or young D Rose. It's just like somebody who's faster and more athletic than everybody else who's trying to guard him. Yeah, but I also love his basketball IQ. Like, he's really good at making the right pass, and not only the right pass, but also the right decision. I love the way that he leads the offense, which, like, you couldn't quite say as much for Westbrook and D-Rose. You weren't always sure if they were going to make the right choice every time. D-Rose was obviously in a better uh, situation, so that didn't hurt as much. And Westbrook, yeah. like, with Fox the teammates. Fox yeah. so good at making the right plays at the right time. He's yeah. just very, very crafty, probably more so than than Westbrook was, especially at that age. Yeah. Also a better shooter than uh, D. Rose or Westbrook ever were. Than either one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Halliburton. Oh, my goodness, Halliburton. You know my comparison with Halliburton. Halliburton is like, uh, whatchamacallit, primetime Rondo, but if he's 
but if every night is a, but if every league pass game is a primetime game somehow, uh, Halliburton is just one of the smartest players in the NBA immediately. Like he's so he's so good at playing off ball. Like you can just put him in the corner and he's going to run to the right spot at the right time. You can uh, on defense, you can have him guarding whoever on the perimeter and he's darting into the lane to deflect the ball at the right time. He always knows what to do. His shot definitely works and it's not like some it doesn't really look like he's going to have to work on it that much and he he can't run the offense like quite yet, but you're seeing like little uh, shreds of it. Like maybe like two out of three times he's going to make the right decision. Maybe the third time he's not, but then he's going to keep coming and trying hard the next time. And he's so long too that like it's totally okay to have him playing with Fox and with Heald all on the floor at the same time, crunch time. And both of them are people that I would feel totally comfortable guarding a primary ball handler. Yeah. And so like Halliburton is going to be able to guard, like guard threes when they're going to go up against like Kawhi Leonard or I don't know about LeBron James. Maybe he's a little too big for him right now, but like he could go, he could easily guard James Harden right now. He could, easily guard uh, Kawhi Leonard. He's probably going to get beat a lot because those guys are terrific basketball players who are no ways to score, but he's just going to get better and better. And so like Halliburton, he was one of my favorite rookies before the draft, loved him at Iowa State, and he spent two years there. John Morant, who is, looks like the best rookie from his class, even though Zion was in that class, also spent two years at Murray. I don't know, maybe he's spending two years of the new uh, one and done. Could be, could be. I mean, you see how RJ Barrett is. Well, see how Anthony Edwards looks. And LaMelo Ball didn't even go to college and look how amazing he looks right now. Would you say that LaMelo is your front runner for rookie of the year or Halliburton? Or I'd say potentially maybe Wiseman? Not Wiseman. The thing about Wiseman, if you look at the plus minus numbers, he's it, they're horrible just, plus minus. Yeah. yeah. It's drastically different. He can't play defense right. Uh, he's not, he isn't, it's not quite the basketball player that people are hoping him. Yeah, sure. Like, He's the kind of guy who's going to get you points and rebounds because, you know, there are points and rebounds to get. And if you like passing the ball, then he's probably going to be able to dunk it. But on the plays where the play isn't, you know, give the ball to Wiseman, he's not making the right decisions. He's hurting the team offensively and really hurting the team defensively. Just putting Looney in there, I think like the team's that like a uh, plus minus jumps like 30 points, which is bonkers. So he's hurt right now. And I think Looney is hurt as well. So the team, like, I don't know. The Warriors are an interesting team right now. I don't know. I think they're like a very clear playoff bubble team. I don't think they have much of a shot of getting in the top six, but you never know with the West this year as wide open as it really is. And you also never know with Curry because he's proven, I think, that he's the type of player who can absolutely carry a team to 45, 50 wins. I don't know if Curry's proven that by himself. I I think he, I would think I would trust him more in like a one playoff series than like Curry bring it every single night because I mean the guy is small your legs don't always work the same every single night and while it seems so easy for Curry it can't be that easy when for a lot of teams that are worse than Golden State they're basically like well the only way we could beat Golden State is by like having two guys on Curry at all times and bumping him constantly so he can't really do all that much and so that's all they really care about and that's why they're able to stop the Warriors more than you like you would think that a bad team is able to do that's fair, but Andrew Wiggins has definitely been different this year than he has been in years past. And Absolutely. so I think that if he continues to develop the way he is developing over the course of the year, I think that, I mean, he and Curry have already built up some solid chemistry. Um, and I, don't I know. think I that just, I just don't with, like Wiggins at all. I think Wiggins is better this year. 
you, he's been a lot some... better this year, though. His defense has has been more consistent, and his shooting has been more consistent. And so, I I mean, I think he's trending in the right direction at at the very least. There's some real interesting quotes from him, uh, a couple weeks back, where he basically said the reason that he's so glad that he's with the Warriors is because there's an actual structure in there. And he said the last time he actually had anything resembling a structure was when Tibbs was his coach in Minnesota. And we know that, like, yeah, seriously, Tibbs, like, with the New York Knicks right now... The structure is decent. play everybody 39 minutes a game until they get tired. And Nevertheless, fall apart. I mean, that's what it seem, might seem like from the outside, but at least Tibbs, like, could put together a good defense as well, which... Lord knows was extremely difficult with that uh, Minnesota team, but when Carl Anthony Towns is your center, but I, un- I appreciate what that is for someone like Wiggins, for someone like Wiggins who do- maybe isn't making the best basketball decisions on the court every time because his IQ might not be that high, but he's so athletic and he really does have that skill to be a great defender. If only he can get locked in having a coach like Steve Kerr is the perfect guy or having a coach like maybe Greg Poppett or something like that. That's exactly who you want. If you want to get something at its potential and like all respect to Minnesota, but I mean, uh, what's his name? Who's it's not Flip Saunders. Flip Saunders, I think died. Ryan Saunders. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan Saunders, the coach there. I don't really know what his plan was. It seemed like he was more like just kind of a player's coach and the team like, He's giving Cat slack and whatever. Cat deserves it for obviously all the reasons. And he has just come back from a serious struggle from COVID that kept him out for nearly a month after like it killed several members of his family. But there's so, been so much bad vibes coming out of that team for so long that I'm not surprised that Wiggins is looking good and D'Angelo Russell is looking like trash after D'Angelo Russell looked pretty good in Golden State and Wiggins looked like trash in Minnesota last year. Yeah, Minnesota is the type of team that just has a complete absence of culture, whereas Golden State has obviously great culture and just, like you said, positive vibes. I feel yeah. like Andrew Wiggins in an atmosphere where um, he's being allowed to grow and to flourish um, and have a little bit more freedom to to govern his own game is definitely helping him. Yeah. And also, the Warriors own Minnesota's pick this year. It's only top three protected, and next year it goes unprotected. So Minnesota is in a bad state as a franchise. I'm not too surprised that they're considering selling the team. If you want a team to go to Seattle, that might be uh, your best bet as the next team to end up there. The Seattle Timberwolves led by Steph Curry. <laughs> or what? No. Wait. Carl Anthony Towns? <laughs> no, led by uh, Jared, Edwards. Jared Culver. Oh, Jared yeah, Culver. Anthony Edwards. Jared Culver. Still, the only one on that Jared team with they, which, with, who's played in a championship game. <laughs> Wait, was, wasn't Towns on the team that uh, nearly went undefeated and then lost in, to Wisconsin? Yes, and, lost to Wisconsin. Yeah, they lost in 14. Damn. Yes. Poor cat. Oh, you doubt his mental. He lost to Frank Kaminsky. A real... Yeah, and Sam Decker. Lost... Yeah, yeah, Sam, Sam Decker. Decker and Frank Kaminsky and Nigel Hayes. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe that team didn't go undefeated. And also... Um, Gonzaga and Baylor in your college basketball updated league. Gonzaga and Baylor remain undefeated, remain incredible. Baylor Michigan's is like good too. a god. Like Michigan is in any other year, Sam, it could be Michigan's year. But well, we it all is Michigan's know Gonzaga, year. We all know Gonzaga and Baylor are on a collision course for the final. They're going to both be like 35 and 0 going into the There's final. Four it's teams be that go to the game. final four, and not all of them are going to be in the same region. Final two. I say I'm final so final excited two. for the March Madness bubble in Indianapolis. Let me just put that out there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're going to – yeah. It's all in Indiana. It's the all entire, in Indianapolis. All of it. The basketball uh, capital of the world. It's taking Correct. place in your backyard. Yeah. Are any fans It's so allowed? exciting. 
Um, I'm actually not sure. I haven't looked into it. I don't know. Indiana's the festivities are definitely going to be a time. Yeah. At March Madness. I think uh, Selection Sunday is my birthday, which is great. Um, oh, no, the tournament starts then. That's when the tournament starts. Great kickoff. This is going to be – listen, I know UT has fallen off a little bit, which understandable. They had a COVID break. Shaka had COVID. Courtney Ramey had COVID. Jericho hey, Sims had Michigan COVID. Michigan had, had the worst COVID outbreak, and as a result, we got a rankings boost. Yes. I don't even know if anyone on the Michigan basketball team got COVID or if it was just like some people in the athletic department got COVID and they were like, oh shit, we got to shut everything down right away. Yeah. That's when, that's when it starts shutting down. Oh, did you hear this thing about BC? And all right, you don't know BC, BC is Boston College. Well, Boston College had so many players get COVID that they only had four scholarship players left on roster who were not out due to COVID. Now, I don't know if you guys have watched a college basketball game before, but you are supposed to have five players on the court. I think that's usually <laughs> the case for most basketball games, yes. And so the coach was assuming he was going to go cancel the game, apparently talks to the school board, and they're like, no, we're not canceling the game. Don't you have, like, four walk-ons you can play? And he's like... What ended up happening? And he's like... he's oh, yeah. He goes to the media, and he's like, I wanted to cancel this game, but I talked to the administration. They said we're going to keep having the game going. They're going up against, like, Florida State which is, by the way, a terrific team full of like a couple guys who are probably going to make the NBA on that team. And then they're about to play the game. Game gets canceled because Florida State had a couple guys get COVID. <laughs> That's so beautiful, the irony. Oh, my goodness. BC is ready to risk it all with four players, just four scholarship players playing in the game. I don't know if they would have lost by 60, 70, 80, and then Florida State. Florida State, of, of all places, in Florida, you know, Florida. Cancel the game because of a couple guys on So what a year. What a year for college basketball and for college sports in general. Yeah, it's uh, been wild. We are going to have March Madness, though. The, yes, we are. The one thing we lost, Mar- like the first thing we lost last year, March Madness, and it's somehow coming back. That was like the it. biggest reality. I referred reality to track. it as March Sadness because I had all of these spreadsheets. Oh, yeah. All my projections. All our brackets. Oh, man. Yeah. I was coming and- off a hot year where I picked Auburn to go to the Final Four. And it happened, and I won and, money just because I had Auburn in the Final Four. Nice. Virginia remained the champions. Kyle Guy, like, is on the Kings right now, and Virginia are, like, still NCAA champions. So. Kyle Guy, Indianapolis native. Yeah, do you think, uh, yeah, Kihei Clark might lead Virginia to another championship? I don't know. People are sleeping on him. People are sleeping on the the Who's. I think Virginia's name is, like, the Who's or something like the that. The Cavaliers. Cavaliers, but don't people call them the Cavaliers. Who's? I think people call them the Who's. I think that the thing you're thinking of Indiana. No, that's the Hoosiers. Yeah. <laughs> I th- it might be Virginia Tech. One of the, but those are, Virginia those are the Tech Hokies. is the Hokies. That's the Hokies. I think Virginia are the Who's. I don't know. <laughs> those are the, but like H O O. Hokies, they're sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to I talking about the Kings, like uh, the team that Kyle Guy plays. Um, yeah. I don't know. Kings are the league pass team of the year. They're the kind of team who every time I flip on league pass somehow seem to be in a close game with another team. And in a year where we've had a lot of blowouts and kind of disappointing games, the Kings have been consistently playing entertaining basketball. And for that, I applaud them. All right. Particularly De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton. Yes. And Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald in the clutch. And Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald up in the clutch. Yes. The Buddy Heald tipping. Oh, man. First, was it like first game of the season, second game of the season? Anyway. Um, that's all the questions that we had. Are there any other teams that you guys are really interested to talk about? We've got a lot of fun teams going on. The Mavs look like they're actually 
rounding into shape that he looks like they're rounding into shape, which I've been waiting for that for a long time. But And the Sixers look pretty good. The Sixers yeah. look good. I just don't think the only team that's like definitively on like a stretch where you can, you know, gauge how good they are is the Jazz because they've, you know, basically yes. their whole season has been defi- has been defined by winning. Yes, because they keep doing it time and again. Yeah, the Heat and the Heat and the Sixers are interesting because, you know, they've both been hit really hard by COVID, but Embiid is playing like an MVP, like the MVP, and I think there's a good chance he gets it. I mean, it's a, probably LeBron's, but, like, maybe it should be Embiid's. I've, he's been so impressive, like we've talked about. And the Heat, everyone's finally healthy. Jimmy Butler is back to doing Jimmy Butler things, playing basketball games, which is, you know, a Jimmy Butler thing. Um, Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero look so much happier so much better when like they're playing on the court with that crunch time lineup of theirs of Dragic, uh hero robinson butler out of bio that is a scary roster i don't know if there are like how many other rosters like how many other start like lineups in the league would you take against that lineup i can't say it's more than like two or three i don't even know what those lineups are i hear that however i feel like the perimeter defense is a little bit of a liability when you only have one perimeter stopper on that team and he's playing the four yeah I mean, I don't want a, a pretty much it's it's a three, even though Robinson is officially a forward, it's really a three guard lineup just because he's not an excellent defender. It's Dragic, Hero, and Duncan Robinson. And I'm just not sure how much I trust that team to shut down really much of anybody in crunch time. Yeah. The thing is, Bam is a great help defender, but he can't do yes, everything. Bam is so time. versatile, but two players. And Jimmy Butler, too. Yeah, Jimmy Butler and Bam can't do everything, especially if Bam is coming out onto the perimeter to switch. They don't really have a secondary rebounder in that lineup, even though Butler is a very solid rebounder for a three. Yeah. Robinson is tall. He's not getting that many rebounds. He's not going to be getting that many rebounds, exactly. Yeah. I just I love it in the clutch. I think in the clutch, it's that kind of lineup, which is dangerous at every single point of attack. And right. if they just... Very like, trustworthy to hit yeah. big shots. Yeah. And, like, I trust Tyler Hero to, like try hard on defense. And I think Goran Dragic is fine enough on defense, like at the those kind of moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe against a team. I know CJ McCollum's hurt, but like McCollum and Lillard against that team might do a lot just as far as, you know, uh, trying to cut him to death. But also Jimmy Butler is probably going to be playing on one of those guys. And like, he's always willing to take on the best guy on the other team. The Lakers can probably put together a better line. Than that. The Clippers can probably put together a better line on that. Maybe the Sixers. Maybe the Bucks, perhaps the Nets. The Nets, we haven't even talked about the Nets because the Nets kind of haven't played a lot of, I don't know, I, meaningful basketball. They seem to always have someone on their team, like of their big three missing, and they just suck with one of those guys missing. Not last night. Yeah. They were Not up last 62 night. to 30 on the Pacers after one half and only yeah. ended up winning by 10 somehow. Because they can't play defense. <laughs> How do you wait? What was it? You guys had 30 at the half and ended up with, 90, with 94. 94. Yeah. Yeah. Sword 64 points. So in inconsistent. Half, which is a normal Nets half. In a normal Nets half, they give up 64 points and they end up winning like 130, 128, or losing like 128, 126. And Pacers just couldn't buy a bucket in the first half. It was ugly. Just yeah. not a single shot creator in the lineup right now. Very frustrating to watch. Because TJ like, Warren's hurt. TJ Warren's hurt. Karis Levert is out. Yeah. Um, has still hasn't played a minute and Brogdon has been cold. Yeah. And so right now the lineup is looking like Brogdon, Jeremy Lamb, Doug McDermott, Sabonis and Turner, or Justin Holiday at the three instead of McDermott. And so it's just 
it's ugly to watch when the three-pointers aren't falling. When the three-pointers are falling, it's great because Sabonis is able to find shooters so well and averages more points off of screens than anybody in the league other than Gobert. Um, and he's like right behind him. I think it's like 16.6 in Sabonis or 16.2 in Sabonis is at 15.7. Yeah. Um, and so, and they're like by far ahead of the rest of the league. Nobody else is in double digit. I mean, the Pacers do some really good. They really do. And Sabonis is so good at finding cutters and shooters and the offense runs through him. But when shooters aren't hitting shots, it's ugly. Yeah. I mean, as even if you can, you can pass guys open, but that doesn't mean that they're going to be able to hit the shot. And, like, you'd think with, like, Jeremy Lamb, Doug McDermott, those are the kind of guys who, like, yeah, I could probably trust them to hit an open bucket. They're The, the reason they're not usually NBA rotation players, or at the very least not starters, is kind of for a reason. Because that's their only skill, and they're not consistently really good at it. Right. And when Brogdon isn't hitting his usual shots that he usually hits, it's just very difficult to watch. Yeah. All right. Um, anyone, else, anyone other teams we should touch on? I feel like the Clippers are also sort of having the same thing like the Nets are having because like Paul George has been missing games because of a toe injury and they've been a little inconsistent too. I don't know. It's a very interesting West. Uh, the Mavs, like I said, are on a little bit of a win streak right now. Sam, is there anyone that you've been paying attention to? Do you want to talk about the Celtics a little bit? Close, yeah, I'm, like, off? I'm going to close this off by talking about the Celtics because yeah. they're really disappointing. Like, Tell us. Yeah, there just seems to be no like urgency like we the same things that happened last year are happening this year we can't like hold any lead in the third quarter we're we love to give up leads by giving up massive third quarters i don't know if we're like hung over from halftime but we literally just don't know how to play basketball for the third quarter and then we spend the entire fourth quarter trying to claw back and it's really frustrating because three out of the four quarters we're like 15 points better than any other team yeah, I wonder if that has to do with them like not having a great like big man on the team, or at least a decent big man on the team. Because um, I don't know, I feel like teams are probably a little gassed when you come into like the third quarter, because like you've like been playing a lot of basketball, and now you just have to go pick yourself back up again. I wonder if like p- more points are scored in the third quarter. This is just I don't know. I, I'm always intrigued by like a like this kind of stuff and trying to figure out when a team is going to be able to make a run. Which teams like do better in certain quarters for whatever reason, like, and when they play their lineups. But maybe the Celtics, like, their perimeter stoppers are what? It's usually what? You've got, like, Brown and Tatum when he's healthy and Marcus Smart. So they got good perimeter stoppers. So you'd think the team would be able to do well, but not really great big men. Do you think, Tice, like, is fo- Tice is fine. Yeah. Just... I, I, noticed, I noticed with the Rockets that, like, with Christian Wood, he would score a lot of his points in the first quarter and the third quarter because he'd be getting – what he's so good at is, like, getting past the defense and really getting, like – these great dunks, these great like moves like to just get past other guys down low in the paint and like running the floor too. And I don't know why he seems to only be doing scoring then and the, he kind of shuts down in the half court. But I just wonder if teams play a lot less like in the half court in the first quarter and the third quarter because like the offenses are running and then the defenses like slowly settle in like as everything goes down and it gets more towards a half court game. I, do you think the Celtics are not quite built for a half court game, at least on the defensive end? I think we're better when we're in the half court. I on think the defensive end? On the defensive end, yeah. Tice is a big guy, and I think he greatly benefits from having his feet square to the, the, the opposition rather than in transition. Yeah, and so like the third quarter, which is more, which is less likely to be in the half court, 
maybe that's why you guys struggle. I don't know. These, this, this is just my take. I have no idea if it's remotely close to reality, but this is just uh, based on watching Christian Wood a little bit. Do you have any thoughts, Ari? Honestly, I would think that, um, kind of like Sam said, I would think that the Celtics would be better off in a half-court set just because they have isolation scorers, multiple isolation scorers and shot creators on offense. And Tice is definitely more of a like a two-foot jumper as opposed to a one-foot jumper. Like He's better when he, when he is able to take up space in the paint. Um, he's a very, I don't want to say a great rim protector, but a very solid rim protector. Um, where I've seen the Celtics get killed is on the offensive glass. I've seen teams just get so many offensive rebounds against them, which is a little bit surprising. I, I mean, I'm not sure whether it's just the lack of urgency that Sam was describing. Um, like maybe they're just not boxing out the way they're supposed to. Um, but I've just in, in the limited amount of time that I've watched the Celtics, I've just seen them get out hustled, which for a team with Marcus Smart on it just seems like it shouldn't be happening. I mean, I just think somebody needs to be the guy, whether it's Tatum or whether it's Brown, just somebody needs to step up and say like, hey, we're not going to let people out hustle us anymore. Those 50-50 balls are ours. It would 100% be Brown. Tatum is not very outspoken when it comes to that kind of stuff. Right, but maybe he needs to be. Maybe he needs to become that guy. He hasn't been playing as much either. Maybe that's his, yeah, maybe that's his next logical step forward as a player is just being able to become that that guy who can not only take over on offense in the last minutes of a game, but also on defense and getting hustle balls and getting the rest of the guys into it. Yeah, with Tatum, correct me if I'm wrong, Sam, but he's like sort of like, we talk like talk about growth paths, like people like taking a step up every year, but Tatum seems to like take a couple steps up and then he takes a kind of a big, decent step back, then a couple more steps pretty far up and then, it seems like this year he's going back. And this is his fourth season in the league. And, like, remember his second season when he just, like, I don't know if it was because he talked to Kobe or something like that, which was the rumor going around. But, like, he started taking a bunch of long twos and not driving to the rim after being so good his rookie year and then sort of turned a corner in year three. And now I know he's had COVID and whatever. But is he that kind of guy? Is he, like, a little inconsistencies in the season? Yes, but like the thing is, he's just not, ta- he's still not taking the smartest shots he can take and not making the smartest plays. Yeah. We saw in the bubble, like him very willing to what, like shoot those 26 footers uh, instead of trying to do anything, like, you know, score the ball, just like take a contested step back 26 footer for the win and then break it. Yeah. You're shaking your head. It was so hard to watch. In the bubble? Yeah. Like uh-huh. we could have won every single game if Tatum was like honestly paying attention. And he was just, you know, doing some Tatum stuff. All right. Um, Ari, do you have any closing thoughts? Honestly, no. I think we covered just about everything that um, that I had wanted to cover. One thing that I did want to talk about as well, though, um, I just remembered this, was the Chicago Bulls. Oh, yeah. That young? Or I don't know who you that want to talk young. about. Laurie Markkinen? Laurie Markkinen is definitely taking a noticeable step up. Zach Levine has been excellent. Um, and personally, I think he should be an all-star this year. I just think that team has finally kind of started to put the pieces together. Um, the young core has started to come together. I think that young uh, is, is definitely um, having a solid, um, a very solid impression on all these younger guys. And Averaging four assists just, as a big man? Like, yeah, I, mean, type I stuff? Saw him, He was a great passer, even when he was in Indiana. I mean, I, I loved watching him um facilitate and he's also a very versatile defender he can guard three to four positions and so he's just really fun to watch and obviously Levine is super fun to watch Kobe White is really fun to watch and so I think that team has just kind of started to 
have some sort of direction now that Jim Boylan is gone. Exactly. What I was thinking as you're talking about this, I'm like, if Jim Boylan was still the coach, we would not be talking about any good stuff that the Chicago Bulls have done. Oh my God, switching. He, I can't believe he was made a coach in the NBA, but the Bulls do look really phenomenal this year. I think Laurie Markkinen, as much as we were like, we're concerned about his growth and thinking the Bulls kind of should have traded trade him or like him or Wendell Carter Jr. They did the Bulls have did they pick up the option of marketing? I kind of think they didn't, right? He was in the Tatum draft, right? Was was he not? Yeah, he was in the Tatum draft. I'm not sure Tatum if they draft. picked up the option for him. That's a good question. Yeah. So it was 2017, I think. Yeah. And so the Lonzo Ball draft. Yes. The I don't think we can call the Lonzo Ball draft anymore, although he is shooting the ball a little bit better, which is nice. Yeah, fine. The Markel Fultz <laughs> The Mark. See, there we go. Markel Fultz. That's my guy. I'm st- I'm still on the Markel Fultz hype train. I can't believe he uh, tore his ACL or Achilles or whatever it was this year. It's really too bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was kind of disappointed. He was showing flashes of greatness. That's for right. That's right. He was. Sam. D- Sam doesn't buy it. But what can you do? He's a Celtics fan, and they traded out of that pick. But yeah, imagine if uh, the Celtics had Fultz right now, and the Sixers had tricked you guys and actually got Tatum, and then it was Tatum. And being Simmons, we tricked dominance. them. What are you talking about? I know, I know you tricked them, but imagine if like they double tricked you and not that wasn't a smart enough uh Sixers uh brain trust at the time. But who was their who was their guy? Wasn't it Brian uh Colangelo, the guy who got like who he was like, was it Jerry from burner accounts? It was Brian who was tweeting, he was like tweeting from burner accounts too, lost his and he, job, and he, then he put like he put all the blame on his wife, yeah, something like that, yeah. Anyway, anyway, real wipe guy. Um, back to the Bulls. Yeah, Laurie, Laurie Markkinen's looking really terrific, and, like, he can be a dynamic scorer. And obviously, you know, he's not someone who you want to leave open. But in the store, maybe – remember Brandon Ingram last year, that breakout that he had where he was suddenly scoring the ball a ton? And, like, his catch and shoots looked really terrific, so you couldn't leave him open at all. And he was, you know, able to beat guys off the dribble some too, and now he's looking very good this year too. I wonder if, like – that's sort of Lori Markkinen, who is a year younger than Brandon Ingram, because Ingram was number two and Jalen Brown went number three the year before. Maybe that's him making a similar kind of leap. And we know that Ingram uh, signed a big deal before um, this. So I guess Markkinen's got one more year to like maybe sign the deal or not, I think. But because I don't, has Tatum signed his deal, Sam? I don't, I don't remember. Okay. Anyway. I feel like he uh, did, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Okay, then maybe Mark. I don't know what's up with Mark, and I can check his contracts up later. But anyway, yeah, he's making the kind of leap for like a guy who is legitimately can be a star that we were not sure about. So yeah, that's that's good. Absolutely. Stuff. Yeah, I think his breakthrough has been very noticeable, both in the stat sheet and just in watching him play. Just seems like he has a much much higher level of confidence. Yeah. And it seems like he might actually be able to hit a ceiling, which is which is good. It's kind of scary ceiling, to yeah. think about. And Levine just looks like he's, you know, being more unselfish, which like Levine was just absolutely. I think Levine was just looking to score so much last year because he wanted to get traded to a contender and he just wanted right. to get out of Chicago. He's accepted that he's stuck in this hellhole and he's like, well, oh, no. I might as well play basketball. It's much better because Boylan's gone and like he can have a team where, you know, he like explained right. for his I coach. I think he's more willing. Yeah. He's much more willing to, to share the ball. Yeah. And it's good for everyone. Kobe White. What is it? Kobe White and Zach Levine where they became the first teammates to hit eight threes in a game uh, last night or something like that. The Bulls shot hit 25 threes. So, yeah, Bulls looking they, good. Were, they had, I think, 24 with, like, six minutes left. Yeah. So. It was 
kind of crazy. And so I, I like where the Bulls are headed. I mean, not as a Pacers fan, obviously, but yeah. just as an objective basketball fan, I like where the Bulls are heading. There are a lot of fun teams to watch this year. A lot of teams that, like, we didn't expect the Knicks to be good, and the Knicks are actually looking pretty decent. We didn't expect um, the Bulls to be all that good. They're looking. The Kings act, are a legitimately fun team. And so, I don't know. It's a, a lot of fun basketball this year. Yeah, maybe teams like the Celtics are 12 and 11. Yeah, the Rockets are 11 13. I don't know what the Pacers record is. I don't know if it's better than that. 12 and 13 after last night. Well, even better. That rounds it up. So, our teams are legitimately average, which is too bad. Great year. Great year. Especially in the East. Yeah, great year, though, for um, uh, to add the nine and the 10 spot to make the playoffs. Our teams are definitely excited about that, I would say. But. It's a good basketball year. Hopefully we will have you on before the end of the year. We are, like you, looking forward to March Madness. Oh, I know we just talked a lot about the NBA, but we have not had March Madness in so long. And, like, we had the NBA Finals in, like, last October. So, like, this is – I'm so excited for March Madness. We've had so much NBA, so little college basketball. Yeah, it's something I've been missing for sure. Indiana basketball looking good this year. Beating Iowa twice. So Indeed. proving to Sam that beating Iowa is not that impressive. <laughs> I never said it was. I'm telling Michigan, Mich- beating Michigan twice is something that no team will ever do. Oh, okay. I mean, you never know. Let's see what, it, let's, let's see what OSU does against them. I'm excited. In, a couple, in like a week, week and a half. All right. All right. Thank you so much for coming on. Really nice to have you. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it tremendously. All right. Thanks so much to Ari Cohen. We will get to all your baseball stuff next week when we have a full season preview. Sam's got his standings predictions. I got to run and make my standings predictions. We've had a lot of movement this offseason, which I don't know if it heated up at the end, but at least got warmer than like the sort of petering out stove that we had for at, a long at least, time. At, at least the aqua jets turned on in the, in the, in the cold tub. Yeah, arbitration. Ending up, um, Carlos Cray and the Ashes agreed to a deal, which arbitration con- confirms still a joke. Yeah. Oh wait, I wanted to get this one thing in. So I asked Sam a question last night of the the four big shortstops who are going to be free agents next season: Lindor, Correa, Story, and Seager. Who has the most career WAR right now? And what's the order? Lindor is one. Yes. Uh, what are the other three? Seager, Story, Correa. Correa is two. Um. All right. And who do you think is three? Story. Yeah. Uh, so actually, Seeger is number two. Correa is number three, and Trevor Story is number four. Sam, did you know that Trevor Story has only seventeen point nine Fangraphs WAR? It's like what? Probably like three three a year. Yeah. Story like has only been pretty good for three years. So Lindor has clearly been the others. He's at twenty nine point two. Seeger is at twenty point one. Correa is at nineteen point four, which is pretty impressive for a guy who's missed, missed so much time. And then Story is only at seventeen point nine. What about the wins above? Rep- Sorry, not wins about place. This is wins about place. What about their WRC plus? How would you order them? I would probably career. go career. I might go Seager number one. That would be correct. Wow. All right. Uh, number two. How are they gonna wait Coors Field? I'm gonna say story number two. Story's number four. Yeah, so they just hate Coors Field. Okay, so then it, they hate it has to be it has to be Correa at number two. Correa. So Seager number one at one thirty. Correa number two at 127, but then Lindor only at 118 and Story only at 114. Well, yeah, because Correa is like, or Lindor is not like an RBI kind of guy. He doesn't really this create. Is WRC plus, many, isn't I know, RBI. but he doesn't really create yeah. much, much, many runs. It doesn't matter how many runs you create. It matters how many runs you could have potentially created, but I see what you mean. But yeah, the thing about Correa is Correa is actually a terrific hitter and collects. Yeah, Ari. Let's <laughs> see. So, yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to keep you on to talk about baseball. Um, Correa is actually, you know, decent hitter. 
And he's been a very good defender when healthy. And all I'm going to say is we underrate Carlos Correa a little bit. And I know we've talked Trevor Story up, but nevertheless, he, um, I don't know. He, yeah, it's Corey's field and everything like that. But are we overrating Trevor Story, Sam? We're not overrating. So, like, who would you have? Who's, if you were, uh, if you got a chance to offer them all the same deal, eight years, $250 million, who are you handing that out to? Seer, Lindor, or close. Yeah. They are. I would take Lindor, then Seager, then Correa, then Story. Okay. Seager, then Lindor? No, Lindor, then Seager. Lindor, okay. That's their career war right now. I don't know. But yeah, I was just looking at all this stuff because Mike Petriello's got a very interesting article about like the current Hall of Famers, like the ones who are in the league right now. And just seeing those three guys together grouped up, uh, Seager, Correa, and Story was interesting enough to me that I wanted to bring it up. All right, Sam, we will talk more baseball next week. We will talk about, uh, like I said, season previews, talk about an off-season recap. Um, Until then, it was great having Ari on, and we'll talk to you guys next week.